Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It has been a while. It has been far too long. Oh, my gosh. I'm joined by my trusty sidekick, Whitney Braun. <laughs> Whitney, how have you been? Well, I I have been good in all other aspects of my life, but I have just been uh, sitting here kind of waiting day after day for this moment because I wanted I, I wanted some updates. So I am just incredibly excited to be here now to do this with you. Is your seatbelt fastened? It's Double always fast. It's always fastened, but I cinched it. So does that, I don't know. I hope that helps. Yes. Okay. All right. It's I've got, I've got some huge news today, but I'm going to first lay a little context and foundation. So you're going to have to wait a few minutes. All right. But <laughs> I do have some huge news. Let's, let's provide some background, uh, especially for people that maybe are just tuning in and haven't listened since the beginning. Back in the day, there were hairs found on the left index finger glove of Francis Murphy, one of the victims. That was also the finger that had the tip cut off post-mortem. Okay. As we've talked about, one of those hairs was sent to the Washington University Medical School for analysis back in November of 1960. And that hair was compared to Chester's hair standards and hair standards from the three women and it was found to be dissimilar. So dissimilar, like, like they concluded essentially it was not Chester's hair of the women's based on what they knew back then. That report was dated November 23rd, 1960, just days after Chester gave his coerced confession to deputies Dummett and Hess. Uh, that result was so significant, but it was never disclosed to Chester or his attorney before or during trial. Okay, let's fast forward 60 years. I'm now representing Chester. And let's remind everybody of kind of the forensic journey we've been on. I first sought to visually inspect the physical evidence that was in the custody of the LaSalle County Sheriff's Office. <laughs> Literally just look at it with my eyeballs. And if you remember, the Will County State's Attorney's Office first misrepresented the condition of the physical evidence to me. Uh, State's Attorney James Glasgow telling me the evidence was a, quote, complete disaster, end of quote, and it wasn't. Oh, my God. I mean, you, you got to I posted a lot of photos in my filings. The evidence was in amazing condition. I mean, so many things mounted on slides, et cetera. So that was just wrong. Uh, the Will County State's Attorney's Office also opposed me forensically testing any of the evidence. But fortunately, that objection was denied by the court. So one of the items we submitted for DNA testing was another one of those hairs found on the left index finger of Francis Murphy. That DNA result, result came back, and Chester Weger was excluded as the source of the hair. That was huge. Huge. He was excluded as the source of the hair. Now, we submitted that DNA result to the state of Illinois DNA database, we could not get a match, which was not a surprise because they didn't really start collecting DNA until the late 90s. So this, whoever's hair this was, would have had to reoffend, you know, yeah. almost 40 years later as a, a 70 plus year old person. Yeah. So it was unlikely, not a surprise. But let's pause here. So what happened then, that was still such an important result, the Will County State's Attorney's Office downplayed the significance of that DNA result. You know, Will County's response was, hair could have come from anybody. All right, it's not Chester Weger, but 
it could have been who knows who, you know, it could have been uh, somebody, uh, one of the family members could have been uh, well, like, somebody. Well, like the wind just blew it there. I mean, like what, what's the logic? Well, there? I think the only thing that would make sense was if it was somebody who processed the crime scene, right? Oh, somebody okay. was there, let's say Dummett or Hess or okay. uh, Illinois State Police Officer, right? It seems extremely unlikely because there were multiple hairs, okay, found on her finger. I want to stress that. There were multiple hairs found on that left index finger consistent with there being a struggle and the hairs, you know, getting like yanked out of, you know, her attacker's yeah. head. You know, because one of the hairs from that glove was submitted to Wash U, right? Yeah. One of them we submitted for DNA testing. It wasn't just a solo rando hair on her finger. So that's important. Yeah. There were multiple hairs. But in terms of a third party, you're right. There's no way. Let's just say hypothetically, there's a hair of a Francis Murphy family member on her glove as she goes to take a walk with her friends that day in St. Louis Canyon. Okay. After the horrific beating that these women endured and then struggle, physical struggle, getting dragged into the cave. Does anybody really think that hair that was on her glove would still be there? No way. Zero chance. But it's not just one hair. Like I said, it's yeah. multiple hairs, right? So, you know, Will County was just kind of like a big, so what? That was the response back then. So, as you know, our fight continued. And I became aware of something called genetic genealogy, cutting edge technology being used to solve crimes every week. Like, it's unbelievable. There were a few labs that could take a piece of evidence, like a hair, develop a, genet a genetic profile, and then use that profile to essentially create a family tree, you know, from genealogy databases. Um, you're familiar with this, aren't you? I'm actually very familiar with this. Uh, for those that are not familiar, uh, this is the same technology that was used to catch the Golden State Killer. Right. And it's a huge issue in the world of bioethics because, you know, once upon a time, you needed to give your consent to have your DNA, you know, tested. And now we can connect the dots to third, fourth, fifth cousins. I mean, this is, this is a fascinating revolutionary technology. So explain how it works. Explain how you can get a genetic profile and figure out who's like hair that is. Sure. So, so let's take, you know, every person has, let's take the example of every person has a unique genetic profile, but your genetic profile is going to have a similar number of markers to your siblings. Okay. So let's say 50% of your DNA is going to be exactly the same as your siblings. And then your cousins are going to have a similar marker, but slightly fewer, right? And then second cousins are going to have fewer than that. And so if you can test someone's DNA, and I'm really oversimplifying here just for, for ease, you can you can find similar markers, okay? And so let's say we find uh, uh, we find a DNA profile that's 24% matching to mine. And so we go, okay, Whitney, we've got a crime scene. The DNA found at the scene, 24, you know, it's 24, 25% yours. Did you have any cousins living in that area at the time of the crime? And then you'd get the family tree out and you start working backwards to narrow it down to who might have geographically been in that area that is genetically connected to the match, right? And then by process of elimination, you can deduce who did it, then run a full panel. I mean, this is it, it is so fascinating. I could talk about this all day. I am so excited about this technology. And, and like you said, that was the way they solved the Golden State Killer. Mm -hmm. uh, that is the way I believe they've got 
they identified the suspect in the Idaho murders. Mm-hmm. There's a lab in Texas called Othram, O-T-H-R-A-M. They're the premier lab doing this genetic genealogy work. And what's interesting is when I reached out to them, they actually have partnered up the last few years, guess what, with the Will County Coroner's Office to do, to do genetic genealogy, and they have identified the remains of like Jane Doe's. Love you it. You know, people that hadn't been identified. So Othram has worked with the Will County Coroner's Office, okay? So the biggest hurdle here when I talked to Othram was being able to develop the genetic profile because mm-hmm. this hair is so old. Um, and that was that was like going to be our biggest hurdle, you know. Um, but guess what? Othram was successful in developing a genetic profile. That is the huge part. One. <sighs> oh my god! And the reason is the hair that we gave them that was found on the glove of Francis Murphy had a root and follicular. I hope I'm saying that right. Material on it. So that's why they could get the genetic profile. You said it's got the follicular elements. It's got a root. That just goes back to uh, what we were talking about earlier, that that didn't just blow in on the wind. Exactly. Right? That that implies a yanking, right? Yes. There, there's some force involved because if I am just shedding hair, like, you know, we all shed hair all day long. You get out of the shower, right? Exactly. You just see a shaft of hair. You don't see the root bulb attached to it. So I just want to really emphasize that point. That is that is such a huge point. Okay, so part one was Othram got the genetic profile. So then step two is you've got to go to the genealogy databases. And now, like you said, kind of build out that family tree. So Othram, here's the part that I wanted to give it. It's another huge part. Othram's been able to make significant progress in determining whose hair that is. This is truly a game changer for this case. I mean, unbelievable. So Othram has advised us that that hair belongs to one of a few brothers. I'm not going to disclose the last name of the brothers publicly right now. We have shared that information with Will County, but I can say this. It was a family from the Starve Rock area back in 1960, and the brothers were, depending on which brother it comes back to, but were between late 20s and early 30s. And, and I'll also say this. It is not, I'll stress this, it's a not a name, a last name I come across. I had not heard of this last name. Uh, it was not on my radar screen. All I know is, you know, I know I know the brothers, I know the name, I know where they lived, where the family lived. Unfortunately, these brothers are all deceased. But here's the key point. The hair was not from a family member of one of the women. It was not from somebody in law enforcement, somebody involved in processing the crime scene. We can rule all that out now. We can rule all that out. Those were the arguments thrown up there against me. You know, it could be somebody like that. And as you say, there's a root. So that just means it's not going to be any of those categories. So what does all that mean? This is a hair, and this is a person who was someone involved in the murders. Let me say that again. This hair and this brother was involved in the murders. And this genetic genealogy result, putting aside what brother it is, uh, it proves Chester Weger's innocence. It is checkmate done, proves his innocence. I, I don't think there's a, a 
a valid persuasive argument combined with everything else we have, Whitney. I mean, if all I had was this, in my opinion, it's enough to prove Chester Uyghur's innocence. And then let's go through the other hundred things we've talked about on the podcast. You know, Lois Lunsek memo, logs not the murder weapon, twines cut in two different places, on and on and on. Like, this is it. This should be game over. Okay. So can you take me back here? When did you get this information and what was your reaction when you heard it? I got this information recently and my reaction was incredible, incredible feeling of like just uh, unbelievable rush of energy through my body, <laughs> you know, but also kind of a surreal sense of like, is yeah. this really happening? Because it just almost seems like this is a struggle that like you and I are going to be doing for the next 10 years, 20 right, years, like right. having this podcast, you know, 20 years from now, JJ's in college, you know, <laughs> exactly. and, um, it's just kind of a thing. Like it was hard to believe there would ever be a light at the end of the tunnel. So this, this is so huge. I can't even like right now, I can't, I should just, I want to run outside and run around the block and scream as loud as I can. You know, um, it's that significant to me. And like I said, I don't even think it matters which particular brother this comes back to. It's like whatever one it is, it is. Yeah. Um, but let me explain kind of what we're waiting for. Yeah, yeah, please. So in order to find out which particular brother is the source of this hair, all the brothers had children. The Atherm Lab has to conduct some DNA testing of some of those descendants just to kind of nail down and confirm which brother it is and to button this all down. That process is ongoing uh, and takes time. And so that's what we're waiting for. I could find out any day. You know, the lab could call me today or tomorrow or next week and tell me they've now identified, they've now through this further DNA testing concluded it is this particular brother. And when that happens, you know, I'll disclose all that to the courts and to Will County uh, and it'll be public knowledge. Um, but what I can disclose right now is that we've come this far, you know, we've come this far. And like I said, it's one of these brothers. It's not Chester Weger. It's not, you know, it's, this is one, somebody involved in the murders. And to me, this is it. This is, this is the checkmate. And what I'm going to be doing is very soon reaching out to the Will County State's Attorney's Office and formally asking them to vacate Chester Weger's conviction based on this new genetic genealogy result. What will they say? I don't know. But it, it we will make that request. And I believe, you know, it's time. It's time for Chester's conviction to be vacated. And this would be the best Christmas present that Chester Weger could ever receive. I hope people listening to this. And I, and I think the people who listen to this podcast are a fairly self-selecting group. So maybe I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but like, what ain't science grand? Like what a glorious time that we live in that you can get this truth, right? Yeah. In so many other cases around the world, throughout history, things just are left unknown and people are left with this nagging regret because you can't know, you can't know the truth, but you got it. You, yeah. you got that truth. I mean, is, the, is there anything more amazing than that? Is there, no. I mean, I cannot think of, of like a use of science right now that is more kind of mind-blowing and exciting to me than the idea that you can finally get truth that can be used in the pursuit of justice. Picture this, okay? I, I think about this sometimes. 
let's say that person, one of the killers, this 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 brother, noticed that some of his hairs got yanked out and Ron Francis Murphy's glove. Okay. He could not have imagined in his wildest dreams that six decades later we'd be able to say that hair is his. He could not have imagined that that the technology and science would have advanced so far that that we could literally just take that hair and figure out whose hair it is, right? That's what's so fascinating to me. And I think what's so appropriate is a case that's so old, 1960, gets solved by this cutting edge technology being used in 2023. Like not, it didn't get solved through, you know, I mean, we've had other people come forward, obviously, that I think, you know, have, have helped us solve the case. And that's been huge. But forensically, that you could get this result all this time later, over a half a century later, is just remarkable. It's it's wild to me. You know, it's 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 funny because I didn't know this information. And it just coincidentally, this last Tuesday, I was talking to my med students in the amphitheater, and we were talking about genetics. And we were talking about specifically this component of of genetics that now, you know, it's it's not about you just having um your profile out there in CODIS. All of us are shedding DNA constantly, and and because you are you are just as connected to your identical twin as you are to your great grandfather, your, your your third cousin or great uncle who might have lived in LaSalle, this truth can be known. Yeah, this is amazing for Chester, but it's just I think also it's the dawn of just a new era. It is a yeah. it is the dawn of a new era in the criminal justice system, and and I hope I hope we can get so many more answers. Me too. And, you know, I'm now re-examining all my cases right. to see if like, hey, can we do genetic genealogy in this case? Because, you know, I'm looking back on all the cases now. This is such a game changer. And like I said, it's just, you know, you read about it every week. There's some case being solved through genetic genealogy. And it's just incredible. Most people aren't familiar with it yet, but it is happening. And this lab, this Othram lab are the best at it. Yeah. Top notch. Uh, I'm so glad I reached out to them, and it's just amazing. I mean, I, I I just can't even right now, Whitney. I don't even feel like this is real. I'm telling you this bombshell result, and I just feel like it's not even real because of all the ups and downs we've had, the struggles, the roadblocks. You know, I mean, the yeah. disappointments. Like, it's just hard for me to even process it. But I don't see. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I just do not see a valid argument why this is not checkmate. Why is this not enough? Like, I just don't, I don't see that at all. I mean, I suppose the only argument you can come back with is something completely ridiculous. Like, oh, well, there was a struggle five towns over and a gale force wind blew, <laughs> blew this hair directly onto the hand of the, I mean, like, no, that, I mean, I, I suppose it's possible somebody can make a ridiculous argument, but no one who functions in the realm of logic can, can refute this. I'm I'm sorry, you just can't. No. And my understanding is this second component has to be done just to kind of nail this down. Like, like it's pretty much, I couldn't give you a percentage, but the way it was described to me by Othram was like, it's one of these four brothers or yeah. however many brothers are. It's one of these brothers. And uh, we just now have to do this DNA part to, to you know, to, to just make it official, official, official. So that's what's happening now. But it's it's going to come back to one of these brothers. And- there's no reason why somebody in their late twenties, early thirties, this 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 local guy, yeah. right, uh, his hair is on Francis Murphy's glove. 
Yeah. He is one, he is involved in the murders. He is there and involved. He's not the only one. Um, you know, there's there's some hairs found on Mrs. Odin that, you know, can we could do this same process with, which we which we might. Mm-hmm. You know, we could do the same thing with hairs found on Mrs. Odin and we can get another match, hopefully. Andy, you know what this also just is ringing a bell for me, going back to the Zelensic memo, which was our big bombshell at one point in the podcast, you know, I mean, that now it, it feels like there's been bombshell after bombshell after bomb, but this one is sort of taking the cake. I'll, I'll be frank. This DNA is is sort of, that's taking the cake. But but if you think back to the, the Zelensic memo, which just to remind our listeners, was a document that you found that described uh, a telephone operator overhearing two gentlemen in the LaSalle area referring to the kid having bloody clothes in the car, someone in their late 20s, as described by somebody in their 40s or 50s, I mean, a kid would be appropriate. So it's sort right. of, you know, still dovetailing into this other information that we have. I mean, that's that's what's also really just, you know, uh, fantastic to hear, that it's not something that that does not fit the narrative that we've already been kind of uncovering. Right, right. Uh, I mean, you know, it coming back to somebody from the area, the age, a male, I mean, all that all that makes sense. Um, yeah. And like I said, this is a first rate lab. They're the top notch lab that does this. They are absolute pros. We are close. And I've had like some of these football analogies throughout, I think, the, the years. We're driving down the field, you know, we've reached midfield, you know, we've crossed midfield. We're getting close to the red zone. I feel like we're on the two yard line. Yeah, um, I feel like right now we're on the two yard line and just need to do a quarterback sneak and just push the ball into the in the end zone. Right. Um, I feel like we're that close. But because we've had such a struggle, such a struggle the last few years, there's a part of me that just feels like, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a, there's a small part of me inside that just like refusing to acknowledge how huge this is, you know? Yeah. I'm just so happy for Chester that we're, we are where we are today. Yeah. I'm so grateful that he is alive and healthy. He'll be 85 in March. Absolutely amazing. So that is the case update episode, everybody. It is a bombshell. Uh, I've used that word a lot. And I think obviously uh, I'm going to use all caps for this one. Andy, this is not a bombshell. Andy, this is a nuclear explosion. That's a good way to put it. And so the next update I think will be when we get a confirmation of which particular brother it is. And once we do that, and we notify, you know, Will County and the courts. We'll, we'll, that'll be public information, um, and we'll know more. And hopefully that's going to happen, you know, before the new year. And I'm looking forward to it. But I also want to do, Whitney, before Christmas, mm-hmm. I want to record an interview with Chester. We did, like, last year, Christmas with Chester. It's hard to believe a year's gone by already since we did that. And I'm going to have everybody out there pay attention. Stay tuned. I'm going to have uh, another Chris- Christmas episode with Chester. So that is today's episode. Cannot overstate how powerful and excited we are. Stay tuned, everybody. A lot more to talk about, hopefully. This episode was produced by Phineas Ellis and Studio Friends. Design and promotion by Bell and Ivy. I'm your host, Andy Hale, with my co-host, Whitney Braun. Can't wait to talk to you soon. Till next time. Take care.